Welcome to Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Uh, it is a um, sad occasion, but we're going to celebrate the life, somber, sunny day. The and life and times of Edward Wolfgang. <laughs> no, uh, I forget his middle name, actually. It's Edward his son is Wolfgang. Yeah. Ludwig. Um, Ludwig. Wow. Ludwig Van Halen. Yeah. Uh, son of um, Jan and Eugenia. Uh, Van Halen, oh, brother of Alex Van Halen, uh, who left us this week, unfortunately. Uh, one of the greatest of all time. And, yeah. And, you know, wasn't uh, wasn't slow to reveal that. It was, uh, you knew from day one, the first time you ever heard Van Halen, this is one of the best of all time. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, like, excited, to, not excited, rest in peace, Eddie, and uh, thank you for all the great music, but I'm excited to talk about Van Halen a little bit with you in particular, and it's Wynn and I today, Christian uh, is not here with us, but mainly because, you know, Van Halen came to me a little later in life and, and uh, was really probably part of your prime years and in a band that you know a lot about, but also, you know, you and I often talk about bands that kind of, I think we're just keenly aware of the... Um, the genre gaps that that occurred if you grew up anywhere between you know nineteen late sixties through I guess two thousand and ten maybe or two thousand and eight or something as far as just genres being very put in a genre for a particular reason before the great internet democratized music we'll say before Justin Timberlake broke down yeah before Pitchfork gave uh, <laughs> Justin Timberlake four stars or nine nine stars or something whatever um, um, but. You know, Van Halen being one of those bands that, you know, like ACDC or, um, you know, Metallica to some extent, early Metallica or things like that, that, that kind of everybody kind of can, Motorhead, we'll say. Like, Motorhead was, the, was always the... Punks, uh, the rockers, you know, the uh, hip-hop guys. But Van Halen was always the, the band that everybody secretly loved. I do think that, you know, one of the things that occurred to me, you know, only thinking in retrospect, is that there are... Only a handful of, of artists that were, they're sort of the great uniters. They cross genre, you know. I, I have friends who love the Smiths. I have friends who fucking hate the Smiths. Sure, yeah. Van Halen was one of those bands where everybody... Yeah, like NWA or like, Van you know, Halen yeah. And ACDC and Tom Petty and Heartbreakers yep. were the other two that I would yep. throw into that category of, you know, they, they're rock but they wouldn't be out of place on you know in a radio format that wasn't geared to metalheads. They were metal enough that metalheads wanted to see them. They were the first, you know, hard rock metal band that had female fan a huge female fan base. I mean Led Zeppelin, yes. But the thing that I realized in retrospect too is Van Halen pre Van Halen, if you were that good at playing an instrument you know, you were in Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, or you, yes, were in yes, Vegas, yeah. or you were doing prog rock of some sort. Van Halen was the first band with that level of virtuosity that brought the party. Yeah, that's a great take, because you also had, you know, like the Steely Dans and the Bostons of the World, too, which were so studio-heavy. Yeah, yeah, and... and um, Cynics. Right, and then you have, you know, Zepp, and, and, and then that morphed into the prog rock thing, or, or we talked, you know, briefly over the phone prior to this pod about, like, how boring Pink Floyd is, but how, you know, absolutely kind of virtuoso they are, too, but it's, it, they just could not put it together. So let's go back to, like, 1980, 70, 78, whatever. 72. I, it, it, oddly is enough, it 72? 
72 was a formation of the band. Okay. Um, wow. Speaking of prog rock, they, yeah. they originally called themselves Genesis Ooh. and had no idea that there was a there band was another band Genesis. <laughs> it was it was, was pre internet. Um, uh, you know, this is this is pre cassette. Um, but you know, Eddie Van Halen and his brother Alex are born in Amsterdam. Uh, if you didn't know, Eddie plays guitar, Alex yeah. plays the drums, just and FYI. Actually, though, they started off um, on, with Alex playing guitar and Eddie playing drums and huh. swapped later because uh, Alex just fell in love with the drums. Yeah. And not because Eddie was... You was, know, better. Sure. <laughs> was better. No, was, yeah, ironically. Um, but they were born in Amsterdam, in the Netherlands, uh, to a, a clarinet player and his wife. And uh, the mother was actually, um, in- interestingly enough... Um, uh, what, what you call Indo-Dutch, so Indonesian-Dutch, uh, but lived in the Netherlands. And um, they family moved to the U.S., as the story goes, with $50 and a piano. Wow. Um, both boys uh, were, you know, preternaturally great piano players and actually helped support the family going out to when they finally settled in Southern California and South Pasadena. Um, they would actually... You know, it was sort of a novelty, but they would send play them gigs. out to play gigs at restaurants and, and you know, cocktail lounges and such in, in the uh, 60s. But uh, the band itself starts in 1972. The reason I have this this sort of, uh, sort of uh, degree of knowledge about Van Halen is in part because I just watched a documentary. Pre-death, right? Yeah, but not more than two weeks ago. Yeah. Their original bass player, Mark Stone, who was in the band from 72, 74 to 76 when they got signed um, died less than two weeks before oh, wow. Eddie. interesting um, he of course left the band or was kicked out of the band because he wanted to go to college he was a very good student and, nerd and wanted to go to college bad <laughs> idea he, he, he said himself he's like do you have one regret in life <laughs> you really need to leave before the miracle yeah um, so that's a great quote actually. the band um, at the time is, is Alex and Eddie uh, they need, uh, as they start to play more parties in backyard, uh, these backyard bashes that were uh, big in Southern Cal, um, they start renting a PA system from a guy in another band, this rich kid named David Lee Roth. And David, Diamond Dave. David Lee Roth's father is a very well-known surgeon in Southern California. Um, and it was very funny in this documentary to hear, you know, these, these friends of the band from early on say, and Dr. Roth was a really nice guy. He let them play in the basement <laughs> in San Marino. San Marino, if you know anything about Southern yeah. California, is the very, very fanciest part of, of Pasadena. Um, you know it well. I do. Yep. Um, and uh, so, so the band is Roth, the two Van Halen brothers, and Mark Stone. They fire Mark Stone for wanting to go to college. And they they play a double bill with another band called Snake, yeah. who has a really short, stumpy bass player who has an awesome singing voice. Guy from Chicago, uh, with a last name that I can't pronounce, and most people couldn't pronounce, so he shortens his name to Mark Anthony. He joins Van Halen. That's when it all clicks, and they start playing uh, clubs yeah. on the strip of the time, which was, you know, pre coconut teasers, and pre- it, so they're playing the whiskey. Um, and uh, a couple of the other, uh, Starwood, a couple of the other famous and Sunset Strip bands. And, you know, they, they actually, uh, they op- wind up opening for Kiss, and Gene Simmons takes them on in sort of a management role. He, quote-unquote, discovers the band 
and starts shopping them around, takes them to Casablanca Records where Kiss is uh, housed, and um, Casablanca passes. I think uh, if, if mistake number two in the well, video, yeah. there. Well, they were kind of a disco label that had Kiss on them, right? And um, you know, Casablanca, uh, the guy who started um, the record label, uh, was kind of. Um, I think he was famous for overspending, and, and I don't think they had. What that. was the rock climate then? Not to not to kind of like sidetrack you here because you're it you're giving it fantastic. Yeah, I was thinking. So you've got sort of the we're six, talking about 74, 75, 75 76. So 76, 76 okay. The man gets signed, and punk rock's well, about to blow up, and well, or not blow up, but at least come into play. The funny thing is that David Lee Roth has another connection in the music world, which is that his uncle owned Cafe Wa in Greenwich Village. Okay. Where Dylan broke. Nice. Okay. And so he calls a buddy in California who calls the head of Warner Brothers Records, Mo Austin. Does he have to hear these people? And Mo Austin and Ted Templeman, who produced the first several Van Halen records, go see them in a nightclub and sign them on the spot. And I'm just, you know... Coming from uh, being born in 76, so obviously not uh, at the whiskey in 76, checking out Van Halen, but you listen to that first album, and it's such a fucking killer record. I mean... The funny thing is you can go back and, and online. Uh, you can... I believe it's under Van Halen X, maybe, or something, but you can hear the demo okay. that they got signed from. And it's, and it's the spot thing. on, yeah. Uh, the first Van Halen album was essentially recorded live with vocals. And it sounds it. I mean, one thing that I, you know, with Eddie's passing, you and I were, were speaking sort of offline on this, went back and just listened to the kind of the David Lee Roth years, you know, from start to finish. And Otherwise known as Van Halen. <laughs> and many of us. But, um, but yeah, I mean, like, I was just, it's not like I haven't listened to these records before, or at least the first two, I feel like a million times. But I was going to say, like, I was so impressed with the, um, I guess three piece. You know, you look at like bands that we love, like the Ramones, or you know, or just other three piece acts, right? And I'm not. You and I are not one to sit there and pontificate about like Frank Zappa's guitar solo, or or you know, Jerry Garcia's you know plucking on on whatever. But at the same time, um, you get two things. You get fantastically hard rock songs that are fast, and I think faster than things were going at that time. I, I want to say like especially with the the noodling and doodling of, of, you know, the Pink Floyds of the world and things like that. Way faster than anybody who was that skilled. Right. And then you've got, you know, uh, instrumental that actually rocks and is, is yeah. not too long, which is yeah. amazing. Um, <laughs> and then you also have just like fun kind of party, you know, songs that have a little bit of pop to them well, too. The it's, it's a weird combo if you think about it. It's not... They're not terribly dissimilar. I mean, you're thinking you're talking about people who grew up in Southern California, so the Beach right. Boys influences. Yeah, it's always there. Yeah, there. and David Lee Roth obviously, you know, went on to cover. David Lee Roth, I think, was most influenced by uh, by Bob Eubanks or, yeah. or Wink Martindale. I mean, they got a game <laughs> show host. Totally, <laughs> but he was awesome at it. And um, but what I was going to say is, so the the bands that were big at the time, the biggest bands in the world were were uh, this was on the cusp of disco. Um, you know, so uh, Saturday Night Fever comes out in 77. Yeah. Van Halen's first album comes out in 78. And, you know, I was thinking it's not a it's not a very clearly delineated line, but you know who's very similar in its construct um, is The Cars. Right. Same, same year of the debut album. Yeah. Same, 
I mean, you could mistake their debut album for a greatest hits package. It's yeah. got that much, you know, that many yeah, songs got on it. Yeah, every one of their favorite songs on it. And after is sort of, you know, not quite as great, but just, but also great. Yep. Um, but the first Van Halen album, I mean, those, those guys came out and they were, it was popular right off the bat. I mean, they were, you know, fully formed. And if you, you know, their, their ascension from club act to arena act was immediate. one day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, basically, they opened for a couple of bands that were on their last legs, uh, Black Sabbath. Yeah. Um, oddly enough, Montrose was the second on the bill. Montrose, was, I apologize. I know there's some major figures that were in Montrose. Was that Dio? Who was in oh, Montrose? Hagar. Hagar, that's right. Okay, gotcha. So, um, you know, Montrose. My, Rainbow was Dio, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so they, they tour with Black Sabbath and Montrose, blow them all off the stage. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where, um, you know, it's a, it's a as I, two terms I overuse. One is that they, they arrived fully formed, and the other is that they were a supernova. But they were a supernova. They went from third on the bill to first on the bill out of necessity because nobody could keep up with them. They yeah, nobody could play like young, that. Young, energetic, different... And people loved them. Plus, they doubled the fan base of, of hard rock by appealing to women. Yep. And so, was it always Eddie's band? It was always Eddie's band. Yeah. But David Lee Roth uh, didn't know, didn't understand that. For <laughs> um, David Lee Roth, right? I, I, I mean, I don't mean to disparage David Lee Roth. We, yeah, we're big David Lee Roth fans, one by the way. my favorite frontmen of all yeah. time, but... Part of the problem with David Lee Roth is when left untended and without yeah. musical influence, he turns into a, a yeah. No, I mean I I grew up on David Lee Roth solo yeah, uh, Beach Boy I mean, covers. He, yeah, well, I mean he was doing Leo, Louis Prima covers. Yeah, I mean, one of the things in the discography of Van Halen, you know, we're talking a lot about the first album, but the second album, yeah. you know, is this typical Rush, but still has some great. Yeah, you know, is "Girl You Really Got Me" on the second or first? I can't remember the Kings cover. That's uh, on number one. Number one, yeah, yeah. yeah number one, yeah. Um, and then the second one kind of rushed in the same way that Candy O is, but yeah. but equally good. Pretenders like too, you know, yeah. yeah. You know, enough good songs. Yeah. To, and then you get the, you know, what the, what are frequently referred to as the Eddie, or the Musician albums, which are Fair Warning and Women and Children First. The weird thing, sorry, about album two, I'm just going to sidetrack real quick. I often find that album two as my favorite song, maybe in the whole catalog, um, Dance the Night Away is like poppy and is un, you know, kind of probably as hard on hard rock as that is for Van Halen. That's probably my favorite Van Halen song. Just yeah. it's so catchy. It's a song that I first was like, oh wow, like these guys are have some depth. What I was gonna say, you know, when I was talking about the Beach Boys is they had the same sorts of influences as the Ramones. Yeah, the Ramones just were, couldn't play. <laughs> they, they, they traded speed for yeah for virtuosity, but. You hear a lot of Phil Spector. Totally. And, and, girls and that's the thing with, you know, Motown. it's the the chorus, the vocals, the, the uh, Anthony's backing vocals are yeah. amazing in that, you know, and it's like the... So anyway, sorry, I interrupted you on the, on the trajectory they, there. When they first started, they were doing a lot of Motown covers. Yeah. And, and David Lee Roth, again, not a creative... Yeah, not a songwriting genius. Not a, <laughs> not a good singer and not a songwriter. But, you know, the most, the best. Oh, yeah. The best. Anyone that can swing a samurai sword around. I mean, anybody who can wear that outfit. Yeah. And, and, and still have fun. But he yeah. was fun. He yeah. Was the, he was the party. And so David Lee Roth, when, you know, the other guys weren't churning out creatively, 
his first inclination was to go back to being a cover band. And right. So Diver Down, which is the fifth album of theirs, has five covers on it. And yes. Everybody, pretty much every Van Halen la- least favorite David Lee Roth era album. I happen to like it. I also think Little Guitars is maybe their, you know, is a top fiver for me. Definitely. In their catalog. I'm a big Unchained and... Uh, yeah, Unchained is definitely one of my favorites. Uh, as I mentioned before... Dance in that way for sure. I mean, it's just it's just a it's a the impressiveness I think of Eddie in general. So I think the thing that I I really and so nineteen eighty four mind you just sorry which would be after Diver Down the Correct. next album after and probably um, yeah and I think it was MTV and um, you know the combo of MTV there they'd already built a massive following. And, you know, you had the first time the visual and the, you know, sort of audio together. So you jump and Panama and, uh, you know, the thing that they had Hoffer that, teacher. But the thing that they had that nobody else had, and again, this is just, you know, speaks to the weirdness of, and, and really the lack of, you know, you can classify them as heavy metal. They're, they're just a, you know. Rock. Great band. Yeah. But the thing that, the secret weapon that they had when MTV came out is, you know, they were appealing visually, they were handsome guys, they were great players, they had great songs. But David Lee Roth spent as much time on MTV being interviewed. Right. And as promoting competition <laughs> yeah. and con- goofy contests. And because he wanted, I mean, his natural, you know, his his natural inclination... Yeah, he could be doing Wheel of Fortune. TV yeah, totally. No, absolutely. So you get that you get David Lee, you know, between Van Halen videos and, you know, nobody else in the band really liked to talk. Yeah. You got guest host David Lee Roth yeah, that's all right. the time. I mean, I, I was prime age and MTV was on constantly in our, our home and I absolutely remember David Lee Roth as like a, you know, I might as well have thought he was on ABC News for yeah. all I could care. He, he was, was on all the time, yeah. TV. I didn't even really differentiate his solo stuff from Van Halen at that time because he was so prevalent. I just oh, remember right. him in an ice cream, a pink ice cream man suit yeah. walking down Venice Beach, you know. But the, and, the, another interesting, you know, so the, uh, I moved, we moved to Ridgewood, New Jersey yeah. in 1984. Um, 1984 comes out. Everybody in my high school is, you know, freaking the fuck out. It's yeah, massive pasting Halen fan. striped tape on their guitars and. Hundred <laughs> percent. Sort of like the scene in Fast Times when when uh, Phoebe Cates' character talks about how six girls this year have co-opted the Pat Benatar. Right. Yeah. Everybody I knew had that had you know white tape on yeah. their guitar and was and was trying to you know play the solo <laughs> of Panama. Yeah, exactly. It was uh, it was a it was a beautiful time. <laughs> to be alive. Well, you want to take a quick break and, and yeah, let's do it. Let's uh, let's go out with um, an early one first. You want to do dance the night away? Let's do dance the night away, and then we'll come back.
Uh, welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother pod. It's Wynn and I, and we're talking about the uh, sad passing of Eddie Van Halen and uh, kind of a history lesson episode, I guess, to some degree. So uh, I think we cut off right around David Lee Roth from the Video Age on TV. Yeah, well, it's funny because at the same time, the, uh, the you know, David Lee Roth was, was you know, becoming preeminent as a, as a television personality. Excuse the lapping of a water behind us. That's, a, That's uh, my mongrel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, at the same time, that uh, you know, David Lee Roth is, is rising up as as a star, as sort of a you know, uh, personality outside of music. Um, Eddie Van Halen marries Valerie Bertinelli, who was a huge star at the time. A huge star, and everyone's crush. You know, everyone's yeah. boyhood crush from her days on uh, One Day at a Time. Um, where she was co-starring with John Phillips' daughter. Because yeah. Phillips. So, you know, as usual, L.A. is, is a one big uh, gene pool. Um, one big orgy in 1984. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so David Lee Roth, apparently, you know, I don't know, depending on which day you asked which person, you know, there was always this sort of uh, mystery, but not very interesting mystery over who left who and who, or whether someone was fired or whether they quit or... You know, and a lot of ego, obviously, involved. Well, there definitely was a tension between Eddie Van Halen, and, and you pointed out one thing when we were on break there, that David Lee Roth actually had the genius marketing uh, idea to call the band Van Halen, after yeah. the founder and, and you know, yeah, no, they genius were, behind the band. Maybe he regretted that when they nah, kicked him out yeah. or when he left, but... After they, uh, you know, after the uh, Genesis um, discovery... Yeah, oops. Yeah, name change, um, they, uh, it, was, it was David Lee Roth that actually was like, well, Van Halen's kind of a cool name. And it is. And it's it is a, a, cool it's name. a name that, yeah, it's, it's, you know, although it is a last name and doesn't mean the same thing as, you know, a Led Zeppelin, it has that same kind of feel to it. It's a much better it. name than yeah, Led Zeppelin. Yeah, totally. Um, the funny thing is, is uh, uh, in my research today, I, I was looking up, uh, you know, Eddie's parents, uh, Jan and Eugenia. Hmm. Eugenia's maiden name was Van Beers. Hmm. So I would imagine if that had been the the, uh, the name that he was given, I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine their their first band name not being Beers. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Which they drink plenty of, apparently. Yeah. But um, yeah, so you know, Van Halen uh, does it. I mean, they are sort of uh, ground zero for the um, behind the music episodes. Um, they are the quintessential story of meteoric rise, a lot of substance abuse, uh, hard partying. Celebrity fame. Celebrity fame, and then a dissolution. Yeah. Um, you know, oddly enough, uh, Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen himself, you know, with all the you know, craziness that was surrounding him, was married twice and both you know for significant amounts of time yep um he was married to valley burton alley for about 25 years um and uh they had a son wolfgang but um who played with the band later yeah later later, um but you know what i guess we have to talk inevitably about the um the morphing of of van halen into van hagar which abruptly uh, ended a great run i'll say i uh not my not my not what I fancy in terms of my music. It became no, we can safely say Van Hagar sucks. I mean, I think there's really... Yeah, I mean, I think they suck. And in fact, there's very few arguments that I've ever heard that sway me the other way. I think Sammy Hagar is a, a good front man. I think he's a great party he's rocker. A yeah, he's a great singer. 
Um, I think he makes good tequila. Really <laughs> he does make good tequila. And for what it's worth, seems like... A the, pretty fun guy. Seems like the guy in the band that would be most fun to hang out yeah, with. Yeah, it's almost like you wanted Hagar the whole time, to, or you wanted David Lee Roth to be Hagar in personality and in yeah. kind of uh, attitude. But they just sucked then. And it was a different time. I think you got into the very overproduced... We don't need to go into this more than this, but, you know, late kind of 80s hair metal scene where... But it's ironic that, you know, they sort of invented that style that that dominated Sunset Strip and dominated charts in the 80s. The funny thing is that they sort of backslid into uh, a much more keyboard-based sound. Right. Uh, when everybody else was, I mean, I wouldn't say anybody else cool. in the hair metal scene was was really rocking that hard. It no. was a lot of power Molly Crew maybe was the closest. And the, the other funny thing that I thought was, you know, I didn't really realize it until I was reading the track list and listening to 1984 again. Um, you know, I'll Wait, that song, yep. it was a pretty big hit. Yep. It was like the fourth single off of 1984. Really sounds like a Van Hagar song. Yeah, well, they kind of, even, I mean, we were talking, you and I offline again, talking about Jump, and now that was sort of my intro to Van Halen, Mm -hmm. based on age and and kind of exposure to MTV. To me, even that song, and I know we have a little bit of disagreement on the keyboard, I love that song, I think it's a great pop song, I think it's a fun song, and, uh, you know, I I never want, you know, it's something that I've never hated or thought was bad, but sound-wise, it also kind of hits that note to me a little bit. I mean, you could hear where Panama was classic, Halen, Hoffer Teacher was classic Halen, mm-hmm. um, or David Lee Roth Halen, I guess, or whatever you want to call it. Jimmy. Yeah, and then you did have a little bit of that next wave. Yeah, you started going into that more bland, um, you know, sort of album-oriented rock kind yeah. of um, sound, and, and away from the sort of pyrotechnics that, that David Lee Roth brought. You know, I, again, strangely enough, Hagar, better singer, worse yeah. band. Well, and I've never heard anyone argue that it, the latter is the case, right? Like, I'm sorry, that the former, like, that Hagar is a better, Van Hagar is a better... I think people who grew up with it, a lot of I think they like it. And I know people that will argue that, like, I like this album, or I like this song. Yeah. But I don't know anybody that says it's a better, uh, you know, sort of portfolio uh, No, they saved their, their gunpowder for the Chiron era. <laughs> uh, Van Halen's uh, third Yeah, iteration. which we can just go ahead and end the pod on, the, yeah. <laughs> on that. Former extreme frontman... Um, and uh, local Boston legend, uh, Gary Chiron, at one point joined the band in the late 90s. But, you know, what happened was, I think, with the Hagar thing, is, you know, as much as Hagar is like a, you know, fun party guy frontman too, they lost that sort of wild streak that, that you know, that sort of defined their, um, you know, the first iteration, the first David Lee Roth iteration of the band. Um... You know that that was part of the that was part of the real appeal. It was. Um, it was that classic festival, and I think it was eighty four, maybe. Festival in yeah. Um, where they got the biggest paycheck ever to yeah. headline the S festival with Steve Wozniak. Uh, I don't know if you know the history of the S festival. No, I've read a little bit about it. There's actually, I think, an oral history on it, isn't there? Oh, I'm sure there yeah. is. Yeah, but Wozniak, who uh, was the co-founder of Apple, gotcha. um, decided he was going to put on the best concert of all time. And actually, was in Coachella Valley. Yeah. Um, but I remember reading about that in magazines and seeing ads for it and living in the Bay Area uh, that summer and being like, I want to be there so yeah. badly. I mean, because it was, 
Was it Molly Crew? Well, one day was metal. Yeah, one day was new wave. No, the other two days were kind of more, um, you know, quote unquote new wave. Yeah. So you got, you know, you two really broke out. Uh, then the Clash headlined. Yep. Um, English Beat played. Echo and the Bunnymen played. Um, the Pill play or I don't know if Pill played. Missing Persons yeah. really broke out then. Um, it's a really kind of incredible festival. If you think check about it, it out. It was yeah. a three-day festival, and it was supposed to be a showcase for new technology and yeah. Apple, and and it really it, it was the birth. People always consider Woodstock the great festival, and Woodstock was a fucking shit show. Yeah, totally. Um, the US Festival was really the blueprint for the modern festival, right. the modern destination festival, yeah. Coachella. And actually, has a lot in line. Like if you mix that day, would be modern Coachella because nowadays you'll have Mastodon and you right, know followed by Iron and Wine. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> one <laughs> of the greatest back to back you know sequencing I've ever seen. Actually, it was Iron and Wine and Mastodon. You're right. Yeah. No. Yeah, I believe it was. Yeah. And um, and yeah, I mean, so and also Coachella. You know, you would have. A headliner like yeah, Beyonce or, exactly or, I was gonna say like a Jay Z and and then you know totally um, with the Strokes and whoever else yeah. you know and, but then you know you'd have enough of a you know the the knowledge base about music has gotten so big that you know Daft Punk could headline or the next year it could be the re you know the the um, you know the you know the reunion of fill in the blank um, right you know I mean they've been they've been uh, but I, oddly enough, you know, the US Festival famously paid Van Halen $1.5 million yeah, to headline, <laughs> um, which is probably what, like, the strokes get paid to, <laughs> right. to, to play enough. But, um, you know, I've heard obscene amounts of money when I've talked about reunion concerts before. I mean, there's always the famous rumor that ABBA's been offered a billion dollars right. to tour. Yeah, Talking Heads, heard, was, you know. Uh, $20 million for the Smiths. Right. Um, God, and why would you say no? Sorry. Yeah, because you're Morrissey. <laughs> yeah, right. Because um, it might be fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, and ultimately Van Halen did reunite and then realized why they didn't like each other. Totally. No, up. and it was actually kind of classic, the reu- reunion, because it was it was true to form where it's like, hey, this is fun for a day, you know, or for a tour. And then like, I hate this guy. You well, know? If, you don't, if you don't recall, I mean, there was a there was a false start. Yeah, was it a um, so, uh, okay. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that started to keep it off? MTV Music Awards. Okay. And uh, you know, I, I will forget what year it was, but it, Beck was ascending. So it was either Odelay or Loser. Uh, Odelay, I'm Beck. sure, yeah. It might have been Odelay. And he won a Video Music Award, um, and Van Halen presented it. And it was those four guys, or at least the two Van Halen brothers and David Lee Roth again, and they came to announce that they were going to do a reunion right. tour. Right. And they got in a t- they got in a fight on stage basically <laughs> they got basically backstage yeah and I don't think they reunited and then I think they reconsidered and reunited a few years later uh, when Van Halen put out its its um, side by side greatest hits record right that's right it was a greatest hits yeah and it was called best of both worlds which yeah was a really bad Hagar yeah era song yeah and um, but it is funny and, and with Eddie Van Halen's passing there's a lot of um, I would used to use the term a lot of ink being spilled, although there's no ink being spilled anymore. No. It's a lot of uh, typing going a lot on. Of tweets about, going on uh, about. Uh, but, it, you know, basically trying to, to um, you know, assess Van Halen's history. What are the what are the best albums in rank order? What are the best songs? What are the right. best solos? What are the, who are the best guitarists? 
And one of the funniest things is that every one of these top ten lists has one thing in common, and that is it has one token Sammy Hagar right. entry, just to be fair. Yeah, <laughs> and ours doesn't, by the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's a, you know it's it's you know it, it's basically uh, we're giving they're giving Sammy a a, a nod. A, well, a, or. A, uh, participation. Well, it's an age thing, too. I think people, like you said, I mean, I had more Hag- ha- Van Hagar than I did Van Halen. Um, and then nobody remembers the uh, the last iteration, really. But, like, yeah, I think it's just an age thing. I think, like, people had, like, there was a hit that you were a fan of. And I think we had the, the benefit of knowing that was crap, you know, so. Yeah. To me, I mean, to me, Van Halen will always be, you know, Drinking underage on a ski bus, you know, uh, <laughs> listening to Van Halen one, Diver Down, the Cars first album, Dream Police, right? You know, and then somebody would you know grab the box and put on Lover Boy or yeah, and, and ruin everything. <laughs> Journey, which is pretty good, pretty good ride. I, I think for me, it always will be MTV, and uh, you know, I think the Hoffer Teacher video certainly had an impression. Yes, amongst others, and then um, you know, kind of revisiting them in my twenties in bars in like Austin, Texas, or New York, or you know, wherever. Yeah. I mean, it didn't occur to me until now, but. You know, the difference between Van Halen with David Lee Roth and Van Halen with Sammy Hagar is the difference between being horny and being in love. (laughs) (laughs) I think we should end on that note. What do you think? Thank you, Eddie. Uh, We will miss you. And uh, we uh, were enjoyed to go back and listen to the the first uh, Van Halen run there and what we feel is the official Van Halen run. So So, um, you want to take another music break? Yeah, let's do it. Brother, brother, brother podcast. We're going to end this tribute to Eddie Van Halen the way we end every episode, and that is Jeremy. What are you listening to? I'm going to do a Christian and, and punt it to you real quick. I don't believe I said this on the last one, um, so I'm going to go book and miniseries. Uh, miniseries is 
Good Lord Bird, uh, which I've seen a total of one episode, so I'm prematurely <laughs> evaluating it. Um, but it is a lunatic take on a period piece with uh, Ethan Hawke as um, rabid abolitionist John Brown in a really unhinged role, which I'm not used to seeing Ethan Hawke in, and I'm actually pretty impressed. Um, but I really like the tenor of the show because, you know, ordinarily tacking, tackling the subject matter and doing a, a you know, historical period piece, uh, not a historical fiction period piece, but, a his, you know, more or less a historical period piece, um, it doesn't usually um, center around dark humor and weird flourishes, and this is insane. Um, as I said to, to uh, Jeremy, um, you know, gird yourself for a uh, unhinged performance in which uh, John Brown uh, dresses a young boy in a dress because he thinks it's a girl and he doesn't pay attention <laughs> and then goes on these crazy um, biblical rants where he loses his place continually and then goes, oh, fuck it. And then goes back to condemning anybody else who uses the Lord's name in vain. It's pretty fucking funny. That's, uh, yeah, I need to tap into that. That's on Showtime currently. Is that and, new? Yep, it is brand new. And then the other thing that I super highly recommend is uh, um, an excellent book that I'm not quite finished with. I'm about yeah, three quarters of the way through, but I've, I've absolutely loved as much as anything I've read in the past year, and that's uh, The Homeland Elegies by Ayad Akhtar, uh, the playwright and uh, Pulitzer winner from 2013. But the book is, uh, I believe, came out in the past month. And I hesitate to try and categorize it or explain it other than it is, I have, a, again, I have a hard time categorizing it, but it's extremely straightforward. It's sort of a autobiographical with a little bit of, of made-up, Sprinkles. I mean, it's you know, it's got its flourishes, but it's about a um, a Muslim American playwright. Oh yeah, I had actor. Yeah. Who uh, is befriended and sort of co-opted and manipulated by a um, a Muslim uh, Bernie Madoff type. Hmm. Yeah, you mentioned that. I definitely want to check that out. Um, that sounds good. And uh, I. Uh, Gosh, I've been sort of lacking in this department. That's why I punted in the first place. But I did end up watching the Shepherd Fairy doc that's on a Hulu original on the uh, sort of skater punk uh, artist best known for uh, Andre Giant has a posse stickers that he designed in RISD, not too far from where Wynn and I are sitting right now. And, um, and then the obvious, like, iconic uh, Obama Hope poster. And I found it to be, um, you know, kind of an unpretentious look at an artist um, who was very unpretentious and, uh, you know, who kind of took like a Andy Warhol-ish approach to, you know, I guess... Modernization. Yeah, modernization. Also um, grew up on some of the same kind of like things that I was influenced by in terms of uh, skateboarding, punk rock, um, kind of anti-culture, you know, uh, you know, kind of... uh, Protest, yeah. yeah. And, and... you know, the best, I think some of the best parts were obviously the Andre the Giant has a posse and him standing in a grocery line in Rhode Island 
and a guy and a girl being like, have you seen that Andre the Giant Posse sticker? And she's like, I think it's like a, a skateboarder or something. He's like, no, it's a band. I've heard them. <laughs> and him behind them because he really had no uh, no agenda at that point. You know, just kind of like put them out there. thought it was funny. Actually, didn't even watch pro wrestling. Yeah. Just saw like the image and kind of continued that throughout his art, but then also did find a little bit of a voice um, and a little bit of a, a political stance and, you know, went through lots of legal issues things of that nature, but uh, I just found it to be kind of a refreshing... I The art world in weirdly intimidates me for some reason, and it's... Almost everybody. And I think those were some of the funniest parts of the movie where even he would say, like, you know, I'd put Obey on things, and people were like, what does Obey mean? And he'd be like, well, I don't know, what do you think it means? Yeah. And they would get mad at him because he was, he was like... It was more because they were mad because they felt like he they were being challenged, yeah, or being you know, sort of, uh, you know, one-upped, and he wasn't, you know, and I thought that was fairly, uh, just pretty cool on the street art and how street art became sort of legitimate. Um, but anyways, that's about, like, uh, as far as I've gone, minus watching the presidential train wreck and then the, uh, you know, sort of return to form last night, and we have no need to talk about politics. So should we throw a song on the... Uh, we should. I'm going to... Oh, go for it. I'm going to put a few songs on. Yeah, I'm down with a couple songs myself. Yeah. So I'm going to put on Little Guitars. Nice. I'm going to put on, uh, if it's not on there, Dance the Night Away. Ah, you got took mine, but I'm fine with that. Putting on Unchained. Nice, threefer. Yeah. All right, so I actually don't need to add one because I'm going to put on Dance the Night Away, and I'm, I'm absolutely fine with all three you put on. And I'm going to go with an influence of Van Halen, and we don't have good vibrations for the Beach Boys on there, do we? If we do, Don't Worry Baby would be my yeah. backup. Okay, great. So one or the other. I think it's Don't Worry Baby. All right. Sounds good. That's a great song. That's a great song. All right. All right. Enjoy. Fun to hang out. Talk later. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.